and of the truth of your gospel, that we would understand what is being spoken in uh, this passage, and that we would apply it to our lives, and not through our strength, but by your grace and your spirit. Come and do this, we ask in your Son's name. Amen. Please, be seated. In Great Expectations, Dickens introduces us to one of the central characters and says, Mrs. Joe was a very clean housekeeper, but had an exquisite art of making her cleanliness more uncomfortable and unacceptable than dirt itself. <laughs> cleanliness, he continues, is next to godliness, and some people do the same by their religion. Cleanliness is next to godliness, and some people do the same by their religion. Many believers have an uncanny knack of making the gospel as unappealing as dirt by living in a way that is judgmental or sanctimonious and and puts people off from the truth of the gospel. We are called to be salt and light in this world, and yet often our um, presence leaves a bad taste in the mouth or casts a shadow over proceedings. One of the key ways in which we do this, judging others, is addressed by Jesus in this passage. He tells us what it is he wants us to do, why we should do it, and how we can go about pursuing change. What he wants us to do, why we should do it, and how we can pursue change. Let's look at these three observations together. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 7, look down with me, where we see what it is that Jesus wants us to do. It comes in the first two words, judge not judge not, don't be judgmental. Now, of course, he is not saying that we are never to be discerning. We need to distinguish the teaching of this text from that overly politically correct, wishy-washy spirit of our day that thinks that even winsome disagreement can be called judgmental. This wishy-washy spirit leads to a cultural blindness where even the most absurd things are accepted and then tolerated and then even embraced. I think of abortion as an example. Neither history nor eternity will look kindly upon us for such woolly thinking. But Jesus is not saying that there is never a sense in which we should be discerning. In fact, in this very passage, look down at verse 6, he shows us that some judgments are wise. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, he says, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. He is saying that some people are so blinded in this life that they behave like animals and do not receive the truth of the gospel when it is given to them. In fact, they are so blinded that if you offer them truth, they may turn and harm you. It is the same idea he says later on in Matthew when when he says that if people do not receive the word from you, then shake the dust from your sandals and move on to the next town. There are times that we are to be discerning. Rather, what Jesus is saying in this text is don't have a spirit of condemnation. It's not that we can't be wise or not that we can't be discerning. It's that we're not to have a spirit of condemnation. Throughout this sermon, Jesus has rebuked the Pharisees for being so judgmental. They tear others down in order that they might feel better about themselves. This is the heart from which such judgment comes. 
As we look around, there are, there are two ways for us to feel better about ourselves. One is, is to brag and elevate ourselves, but the other is to judge and, and tear other people down. If you do both, all the better, uh, the Pharisees so thought. And Jesus is saying, don't be that way. Don't judge others. Don't demean others. Don't condemn them in order that you might feel better about yourself. Instead, I want you to see people as I see them, and I want you to treat them accordingly. I wonder how we're doing in this regard. I wonder if we have a judgmental spirit within us. It's tough to diagnose because it's one of those sins that we're often blind to. I've shared before about the time when I got up one morning, and instead of putting my own contact lenses in, I put Rosie's contact lenses in. And then I kind of wandered around for the day thinking, things don't seem quite right today. (laughs) Then I got a phone call. I answered, hello. And she said, hey, my intellectually challenged husband. (laughs) That's pulpit speak. Um, You put my contact lenses in this morning. I was like, ah, I totally did. (laughs) I see it now. Um, Often we're blind to our own blindness until someone points it out. And here Jesus is pointing out how blind we are to our, to our judgmental spirit. And we don't want to be blind, so let's, let, let, let's give ourselves an eye test. Let's give an eye, ourselves an eye test on how judgmental we are. I have seven signs that you might be a judgmental person. Are you ready? Number one, you might be a judgmental person if you find it easy just to be negative about people or situations or, or about anything. Now, when I talk about being negative, I'm not talking about that true critical spirit, that idea of having constructive criticism where you are winsome and uh, wise and thoughtful and encouraging. I'm talking about just being one of those kind of Debbie Downer types who always finds the flaw in something, who always points out how things could have been done better. I wonder what impact you have upon other people. When they spend time with you, do they leave feeling encouraged or do they leave sort of feeling flat? When they, say, when they see that they have a, an email from you, do they smile or do they sigh? Are you one of these people who can't celebrate at making progress because you're always demanding perfection? Do you find it easy to be negative? If you do, you might be a judgmental person. Number two, you might be a judgmental person if you confuse your own preferences for universal principles. If you confuse preferences for principles. Now, DC is full of people who think that their way of doing things is the way of doing things. So when it comes to sending your kids to school, whether it's homeschooling or Christian schooling or, or public schooling, it's not just that what your decision is right for you and your family, it's that everyone should do what you are doing. Uh, we made clear in the first service that the only thing the Bible commands is that if you can, you send your kids to Cornerstone. That's the only thing it says. <laughs> Other than that, families have free reign to do what is, is wise uh, to them. And yet so often we take our own preference and sort of have a mild disdain for people who don't agree. Or perhaps it's just in in general parenting where your daughter wouldn't wear those clothes. You wouldn't allow your daughter to listen to that music. You wouldn't allow your daughter to spend time with those friends. Or often this spirit rears its head when it comes to entertainment. There are shows that you yourself would not watch or movies that you yourself would not watch, and so nobody ought to watch those movies. Taking your own personal preferences and turning them into universal principles. If you do this, you may be a judgmental person. 
Third, you may be a judgmental person if you express your opinion without knowing all the facts. If you love to throw your two cents in, even on issues that you don't necessarily have great expertise in. We have seen this for the last couple of weeks as various celebrities have made excellent pronouncements about how we should be going about distributing humanitarian aid. And I pause and I think, do you really know how we should be going about distributing humanitarian aid? I just doubt that your achievements in Hollywood, respect, you know, as respectable as they may or may not be, have qualified you to speak with such authority on these issues. And what celebrities do, we do ourselves in a hundred ways on a hundred days. Speaking with an authoritative opinion when we don't really have expertise in the area. Do you love to give your opinion irrespective of how informed you are? you might be a judgmental person. Four, you might be a judgmental person if you express your opinion without understanding the context. Express your opinion without understanding the context. So you may have the facts right, but you haven't taken the time to see how these facts fit into the larger picture. And so you don't listen to both sides of the story. And you condemn before finding out if there are mitigating circumstances. And you pronounce what should be done before you finding out what already has been done. Quick to jump to conclusions about how things should proceed without taking the time to, to, to determine the context. You may be a judgmental person. Fifth, and uh, maybe my favorite one, you may be a judgmental person if you express your opinion with disproportionate emotion. You express your opinion with disproportionate emotion. What do I mean by that? I mean that the strength with which we communicate something should be commensurate with the seriousness of the matter at hand. And so often we find that we get caught up in, you know, the first world problems, First world problems are things like, I hate it when they play Christmas music and it's not even Thanksgiving, right? Um, or, seriously, first church problems. Okay. Things like the color of the carpet, the taste of the coffee, uh, and more things. The secondary, tertiary things. So often these first world problems, first church problems, get us all bent out of shape. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson uh, says... Sudden and strong outbursts of emotions can sometimes be signs of a sensitivity that is personal rather than moral or spiritual. He's saying, if you're having a very strong emotional reaction to something, it may actually tell you more about yourself than it does about the matter at hand. Instead, the Bible calls us to temperance, this great principle of temperance, which in the scriptures doesn't have to do with abstaining from alcohol, but has to do with being just a balanced, measured type of person. When things go wrong, you don't have a knee-jerk reaction. When the levels of drama increase, you're able to ramp them down. A steady, measured approach to life that comes from wisdom and security in the gospel. If you are quick to show strong emotion, if you do not check your emotions before responding, before checking to see that they're appropriate, you might be a judgmental person. Two more. Sixth, you might be a judgmental person if you rejoice when you hear something unpleasant about someone you don't like. And this really isn't a complicated one because we know that we have all been there. There's someone you don't particularly like and then you hear something unfortunate about them and you just sort of have a silent smile. And so that colleague that you don't like makes a mistake and is called out for their mistake and you just kind of sit there 
with a kind of serious work face on, but a smile within your heart? Or you gave some advice that wasn't heeded, and because it wasn't heeded, things went wrong for that person, and you just kind of have that, mm-hmm, told you so kind of mentality. If you rejoice when something unpleasant happens to someone you don't like, you may be a judgmental person. Seventh, finally, how do you know if you're a judgmental person? Well, you might be a judgmental person if you hear this list and think that it describes other people more than you. (laughs) And we were all doing that, okay? It's like number three, yeah, my wife does that. Number four, my husband does that. Number five, my kids. Kids, you listening, right? You may be a judgmental person if you think this list describes other people more than you. How blind we are to our own sin. What does Jesus do? He tells us not to judge. He tells us not to have a spirit of condemnation where we tear others down to feel better about ourselves, but instead calls us to see people as he sees them and to treat them accordingly. And there's not a person amongst us who doesn't struggle with this. Jesus then deepens the level of conversation in the rest of verse 1 and through into verse 2 by having told us what he wants us to do, telling us why now he wants us to do it. Why is it that we should not judge? Uh, Look with me again at verse 1. Judge not, he says. Well, why, Jesus? Why ought I not judge? Judge not, he says, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The Bible speaks of at least two different types of judgment. The first is the judgment that saves or condemns. This is that final and eternal judgment that determines our eternal destiny. Every single person in this sanctuary this morning has a soul that will live on forever, either in hell or in the beauty of heaven. We will all die, we will all stand before God, and he will ask us all, why is it that I should let you into my heaven? And we need to have an answer ready for this occasion. Were you to die tonight, what would your answer be? The Bible tells us that only one answer will suffice, that I believe in Jesus Christ and have asked him for forgiveness. That's the first judgment we see in scriptures, that great dividing line between those who have faith in Jesus and are headed to eternal glory, and those who do not, and are headed to a lost eternity. Second kind of judgment, though, that we read about in Scriptures is that judgment that restores. Now, this isn't that final, eternal judgment, but rather is a judgment that God places upon His children for their lives today. It places upon His children in order to spare them greater harm in this life. 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Think of it in any form of parenting. If you love your children, you discipline them. When you catch them cheating or lying or fighting, you intervene and you impose that kind of discipline, that kind of judgment upon them in order that they will learn how to flourish as human beings. And so it is that God, as the perfect father, loves his children enough to intervene and discipline them in order to spare them greater harm. It might be hard in the moment, but it's good for us in the long run. 
This is a, a huge topic that would require a, a whole sermon for itself. If you are intrigued or if this is uh, something that you're wrestling with just now, I'd encourage you to go back to last year. A year from this Sunday, I preached a sermon entirely on this topic from Hebrews chapter 12. You can find it on our website and uh, encourage you to, to take a look at that if this is spurring thoughts in you. Uh, but for now, that is the, the second judgment that we read about in the Scripture. God's tender act, his fatherly discipline in order to bless and restore his children. And now here in Matthew 1, Jesus says to us, before you judge others, remember that you are a people who will face this kind of judgment. Before you judge others, remember that you yourselves will be judged. Remember that at the moment that you are casting judgment upon someone, you may be next in line to stand before God himself and be judged. And so uh, approach one another uh, with that spirit and with those facts in mind. I remember several years ago, it happened upon my boys uh, who were up to no good. And they'd come up with a cunning plan and they were halfway through executing it when dad showed up caught them red-handed with the, you know, proverbial hand in the cookie jar. And I sat them both down, and I remember saying, and I don't know why I said this, but I said to one of them, what do you think your brother's punishment should be? And he said, you should forgive him. (laughs) There speaks a man who knew he too would soon face judgment. And Jesus is saying to us, um, feel the weight of this. Feel the weight of this. Before you become the first one to, to pick up that stone, feel the weight of the judgment that is coming to you for the life that you have lived. I have commanded you to do unto others as you would have them do to you. And now I am telling you that I will do unto you as you have done unto others. Before you judge another, reflect of the judgment that awaits. Does this not just deflate that spirit of judgment? It just takes the air right out of it. To know that we ourselves will be in the before God's judgment throne. We should not judge others because we ourselves will be judged. Where is the hope in this? In verses 3 through 5, Jesus gives us some by telling us how we can pursue change. He's told us not to judge. We are a people who, who do judge. But where is the hope for us by pursuing the change given us in verses 3 through 4? Let's look at it together. First, at verses 3 and 4, where Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. Jesus is using a carpenter's illustration. He worked with his hands and wood for many years in his life, and he knew what it was like to get sawdust in his eyes. And now, in teaching, he looks back to that experience and gives them this illustration. And as Jesus sometimes does, he actually injects a little bit of humor, a little bit of light relief into what is a very hard and difficult scene. He says, how is it that you can turn and look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye? and say that it needs to be removed, when at the very moment you are turning, everyone has to duck because you have a plank in your own eye. 
How is it that you can be so hypocritical? How is it that you can be so blind to your own issues and so hyper-focused upon the issues of others? Verse 5, Jesus then tells us to do two things. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Two things. First, he says, take the plank out of your own eye. Before you judge others, he says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21, you'll find this on page 163. A passage that tells us about who we ourselves are. Before we judge others, let's remember who we are. Who are we? Chapter 21, verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, that's who we are, the stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. And though they discipline him, he will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are someone who has declared that they know about themselves that they deserve punishment. That we are sons and daughters who have been rebellious and wandered far from God. And that our lives and our attitudes have earned for us punishment. That the wages, the just deserts of what we have done is to be taken outside the city and stoned. We recognize that there is evil within us. And we remind ourselves of who we are before we point the finger at someone else. Having reminded ourselves of who we are, though, we move on to remind ourselves of how God has dealt with us. Look with me at Luke chapter 15. The story does not end with our own sin and the fact that we deserve death, but goes on to remind ourselves about how God has treated us. Luke 15, verse 11, page 874. Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. After many days... Uh, this younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The gospel tells us that rebellious sons and daughters, people like me, and dare I say people like you, deserve to be taken outside the city and stoned for the way in which we have rebelled against God. And instead, the Father who has every right to issue this judgment looks out for us upon the horizon. And when he sees us, he comes running with open arms, making a fool of himself that he might draw us back into his embrace. Before we judge others, we remember who we are. And we remember how God has dealt with us. Strong feelings about the sins of others that are not matched by ruthless dealings with our own sin is hypocrisy. We never confront someone else without looking at ourselves first. And a heart that beats in the rhythm of grace restrains from judgment. Take the plank out of your own eye, Jesus says. Then, secondly, he says, help others with the speck that is in theirs. Flicking back to Matthew, he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, take the plank out of your own eye, and then mind your own business. Take the plank out of your own eye, and then have nothing to do with your community. Uh, This is what our individualistic uh, community and, and culture would say. Believe what you want to believe, but don't get involved in anyone else's business. The Bible has a much more compelling vision for a community, a community that is based upon authentic relationship, vulnerable relationship, tenacious relationships, whereby we do come alongside each other, and having examined ourselves and having a work of grace take place in our hearts, we do reach out to try and help our brothers and sisters in their walk with Christ that they might flourish more. And this is really the central, uh, one of the central blessings of the church. It's what makes the church the church, to have a community of people that you can be in real relationship with, uh, people that you don't have to impress, people that you don't have to um, sort of work to gain their approval, but rather a community of people that is concerned for the welfare of each other. I was down in Richmond yesterday, and I was staying at the home of a couple who used to be part of this church, and I was asking them how they were settling in, and they were doing really well, but then they said, you know, the only, we, we really do miss McLean. We really miss McLean. You know why they miss McLean, they went on to say? You know, heartbreakingly, they didn't mention the preaching, right? <laughs> they didn't mention the worship. They didn't mention the Sunday mornings. They didn't mention the great activities we have, you know, exploding out the walls of this place every single day. What they missed was their small group. The small community of people who would look them in the eye and they could look back straight into the other's eye, share life together, help each other with the burdens that they faced. 
uh, provide a loving support and accountability and pushing each other toward Jesus. Rich experience of grace uh, drives us to pull others into that same experience. And so Jesus says, yes, take the plank out of your eye and then become a humble servant uh, to love those around you and to love them well. We are out of time. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are the God who has communicated what you, what you want us to do. And you've been very clear in saying, do not judge. And you've told us why we ought not to do that, because we ourselves will face judgment. We are the next in line. And so we ask that we would indeed pursue gospel change, that we would remember who we are, rebellious children who deserve death. And yet we would remember how we've been dealt with, lovingly embraced by a father who cares, and that we would then reach out and treat others in this same way. Would you make this a community of fresh air? In Jesus' name, amen.